Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. What is time to Ben Jarofsky show as I speak? What's today? Friday. Oh my God. Friday, February 4th. I've lost track of time. Uh, headline in the newspaper that's apropos to what we're going to talk about. Fields crew at full staff. This is in the Sun-Times. The Chicago Bears are uh, filling out their coaching roster as they try to prepare for a new season. <laughs> a new start for my beloved Chicago Bears that I've been really hating. I, I, everybody knows who listens to this show, reads my columns, knows I've been really hating on the Chicago Bears for about two years now or three years. And I've been hating on them with this uh, particular gentleman who will be my guest today. Uh, so before I go any further and hate on him anymore, let's ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself and then let the hating begin. And maybe my guest will surprise me and go, no, Ben, you're being unfair to the Bears. So first of all, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. How you doing, Ben? Uh, this, my name is Vincent E. Normant. Um, you know, I kind of somewhat a regular on the show and, um, you know, the founder of the Marijuana Hall of Fame, but we're not going to talk about cannabis industry we're going to talk about sports we could talk about what the bears are doing so i'm right here with you ben let's go all right a lot to talk about yes you are a regular on the show you haven't been on in a while you had a bout with uh, covid and uh, i was worried about you there for a while vincent just before we get to this particulars uh you look so healthy you sound healthy you look 100 percent uh you look like the old rock star movie star that i know you to be uh <laughs> the pride and joy of englewood uh, tell folks a little bit about uh, how scary it was, though. Yeah, it was actually scary. Uh, I uh, wanted to say that it was a Saturday. I don't know the actual date. I won't back it up then. But I ended up going to New York uh, for a cannabis event on Sunday. I flew out. And then I flew back into Chicago on Monday. And if people remember, that was the day when we really started to bit of cold. And it was 18 degrees. So I come from 58 degrees to 18 degrees. Caught a cold. And uh, unannounced, probably had called COVID at that time. So I was really thinking that maybe it's a cold. Woke up Tuesday, kind of feeling a little groggy as well. 
Woke up Wednesday morning. I could not breathe. I called my nephew. Went to Shoulders Hospital Emergency Room. Uh, they admitted me immediately. And uh, 16 days, 17 and uh, excuse me, 16 days in uh, in the hospital, seven in ICU uh, on an uh, oxygen. And yes, it was a scary uh, moment. But uh, the support of my friends, loved ones, family, you know, pulled me through. And uh, you know, I got out. Uh, actually, December, I spent Christmas in, in the hospital and got out the 31st, which was uh, New Year's Eve. And so I did bring in 2022 at home. And uh, here we are now, February. I feel much better, stronger. Uh, I'm probably like uh, 95%. You know, what people don't talk about is the people that do su- to survive COVID, I mean COVID, and had to deal with some of the issues uh, that comes with it. And I was told by my doctor that, you know, you've really recovered well. We got some people still left the hospital. Six months later, they're still on uh, an oxygen thing. So I thank God for, and his mercy for really blessing me. And the prayers and stuff was great. And I'm here. Yeah, you're here. You can hear my voice. I feel a lot better. And, you know, really, uh, I say about a month, uh, maybe a month ago, I I couldn't talk at all. I was having very uh, difficulty uh, having conversation because of the breathing technique that you had to do. Well, Hold up. Uh, I'm really uh, happy to talk to you. Like I said, I got that text. Yeah, I, I came out of nowhere. I actually, I think I was in California when you sent me that text, as I recall. And, um, you know, I was really rooting for you and sending out good vibrations. And uh, I know a lot of people were as well. So, all right, let's move on and discuss sports. Really, it's sports and race. And um, and this is my problem with the the Bears. We're going to deal with the Bears. We're going to deal with the NFL first, uh, and then we'll close down. Uh, if I have Vincent, we're going to have a little uh, basketball talk because I love basketball. It's my favorite sport. My beloved Bulls are doing well this year, and uh, so. Well, where should I start? Well, we'll start with Brian Flores before we get to the Bears and their uh, uh, their new coach. It all ties together, Vincent. Here's my situation. I've been following football since the 60s. And something has become obvious to me, uh, Vincent, that uh, black athletes dominate in football. I think they're roughly 70% of the NFL, more or less, and they're the stars of the NFL. At the same time, there's only one black coach, uh, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this became, this has been an issue below the surface for a while, and it exploded to the surface when Brian Flores, the recently fired coach of the Miami Dolphins, a black man, filed suit claiming, claiming discrimination against the NFL. We'll get into the particulars of his suit. I have my theory, Vincent. I have my theory why the NFL does not hire black coaches. And it's not something anybody in the NFL would ever admit to. But before I share my theory, I would like to hear your theory as to why you have a league, and I'll say this again, where 70% of the players are black and only one out of, what, 32 teams has a coach who's a black man. Please explain your theory, then I'll give you mine. Well, you know, I guess part of my theory is – and I don't want to get off the subject, you know, of it, but, you know, uh, ownership, uh, 
you know, is uh, the grandiose of you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to run my team. And it is a good old boys network. And uh, if you do not fit into the network or the program of the good old boys, uh, you know, African-American coaches, we don't want you. We don't want you opinionated. We don't want you talking too much about what you want to do. We want you to talk about what we want to do and you implement what we want to do. So I, I think that, you know, um, it's, it's, the, it's the, like I said, again, the owners, you know, feeling that uh, they run the team and they can do whatever they want to. And um, they don't have to uh, hire African-American coaches, uh, especially those who, uh, you know, have an opinion uh, in, in the direction of how they want to run the team. All right. Uh, you've been in sports for a long time. You play football. You've been in sports management uh, for a while. You work with Michael Jordan. Uh, you have a lot of friends who are involved in the NBA and the NFL. When uh, not giving names away, not giving secrets away, but when you're talking to your friends who either play the game or have played the game privately, what do they say? What do they tell you? Like what's going on in the in the world of the NFL? Well, you know, uh, sad to say, you know, they know that um, they either have to conform or play the game of uh, the politics of sports. They can't ruffle too many feathers because one, they'll get blackballed. Two, uh, along with that, um, you know, they won't be able to take care of their family. And then it extends beyond just uh, the coaching arenas of sports. It can carry on to other opportunities that they might may have uh, in advertising, representing other corporations uh, as a uh, spokesperson. So it, it really can go deep into uh, an individual, a, a black man pocket. And that, you know, and I know, that's an effect on the family. You know, if you're married with kids and, you know, you have a mortgage, you have a car note, and you have all these responsibilities you're trying to save for, you know, your, your college, I mean, your, your, your kids' college tuition, and it's tough. It's tough. So I applaud Brian Flores for, you know, and he and he said it. He said it. He said he he know that he might never ever get another job in the, in, the, in the NFL. But if change is implemented and there's something good that comes from it, uh, he's okay with that. And you know, sometimes you uh, have to have a soul that is willing to rise above the chaos. He probably stands a very good chance of being uh, boycotted like Colin Kaepernick was. We will see where this uh, goes. Uh, I have a theory, and I'm going to share the theory with you, get your response, and feel free to vehemently disagree with me when I lay out my theory. I do not care if guests disagree with me. My theory is this, and I, and I say this as a guy who's been around white people my whole life. And no disrespect to any white person when I say this. White people, not all white people, but a lot of them are very concerned that if there is an even playing field, they will not be able to compete against black people. 
So you look at football, and teams want the best players, Vincent. 70% of the league is black. Those are the best players. If you did the same thing with coaches, 70% of the coaches would be black. White guys would be locked out of the NFL. Do you hear what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, if you just if you just work for the assumption that the people most qualified to be the coach are the people playing the game, who are the all-stars, who are the best players, white people will be locked out of the game. And I've had people tell me. It was like a moment. Maybe they were drinking too much or something. They go, you know, Ben, if you had your way, it would be all blacks. And it would be no white guys in the NFL. Because I've been complaining forever about the Bears on this on this on this front. So, what's your thought about that? Do you think I'm um, I'm off base? Do you think I there's anything to what I'm saying? Do you vehemently disagree with me? Your thoughts? You know, it's interesting you say that. And you know, uh, I I remember back. You remember Jimmy's Greek moment? You know, hey, I'm an old guy. Okay. So I remember the Jimmy Greek moment where, you know, it was at one point, you know, black uh, African-Americans wasn't intelligent enough to run an NBA, excuse me, an NFL team or to coach an NFL team because of the X's and O's that we just could not comprehend. And then it goes as deep as, you know, the black quarterback cannot uh, decipher the plays the 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 what goes into the the different X's and O's of the plays. Black people, black men, QBs could not just comprehend those offensive coordinators. So I think you have something there. You're closer to the to the surface than I am, but I've had a lot of uh, experience with uh, white uh, coaches and, and white people in sports. And you're right. You're, you're spot on. They're afraid that they are going to be removed from a position or have to answer to uh, a superior African-American in a position of a higher authority as a GM. We'll get back to that with the Bears because I do want to touch on that one. And uh, other things in in general. So, um, But I, I just think it should be fair across the board. Whether you white, black, Latino, if you are a good coach, you should be hired on those merits alone. It should never be uh, a discriminating or a race issue at all. So, But I think you're right there. I like that theory. I think that theory holds up. Well, I, I've been living a long time. <laughs> so it's like, heard a lot of conversations. I asked you about private conversations you hear with black people, and I'm just telling you private conversations that I've heard from white people when they're drunk in a bar. Now, uh, I will get to this. What you're espousing is an absolute meritocracy where the best uh, get the jobs. And that's sort of like this, uh, what do I put this? Uh, that uh, That's this aspiration in America. We have a uh, meritocracy. And you, whenever we get affirmative action, where a college sets aside a certain number of positions for black applicants uh, because they say they it's good, uh, overall for society to have integration. White people get really upset and they say, that's not how it should be. You should not be judged by the color of your skin. You should be gov 
judged by the content of your character, I quote Dr. King, and the merits alone. But I think what we have here, uh, Vincent, and again, feel free to disagree with me, I feel like we have affirmative action in the NFL for white people. I feel as though that it's they preserve spots for white people because they don't want the league to get too black. And I've seen this happen in basketball. I remember in the 60s and the 70s, it seemed as though there was a certain number of positions on a black on a team that had to be for white people. Even if the guys were just sitting on the bench, Vincent, you know what I'm saying? Just see them there in their uniform. <laughs> I can remember some stiffs playing for my beloved Chicago Bulls. I, can't, I will not name names. So I do believe that there's more or less a quota, even if it's uh, informal in the NFL to make sure that uh, pro- high-profile positions are white. Your thoughts? I agree again. I, I, you know, you know, a lot of times we get on this show, and I do disagree with some of the things you say. But you know, let's recall back when uh, when what the, the the Boston Celtics their last championship run, and uh, they had Kevin Garnett and. Uh, Ray Allen joined the team. That team was 98.5% black. And the only white guy that was on the team, and every time they put him in, you heard a roar at the Boston Garden. <laughs> and that was, uh, I think I want to say, Mike Shannon. I can't remember no, his name. No, I know who it is. I loved him. I was He's one a, of the guys roar. I loved him. <laughs> Brian Scalabrini. Brian Scalabrini. I was going to say Mike Scalabrini. (laughs) Brian Scalabrini. But you know, hey, to his credit now, when he gets in there, if you leave him open, he will nail that three. He will hit that three. But, you know, um, watching the games and watching them go in the championship against us, uh, the Lakers and stuff like that, and I was like, wow, boy, what a a change of uh, culture with the Celtics from the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale era, right? And here we are. And, and pretty much, uh, uh, what, if you had 15 players, I think it is total, you had 14 black and, and Brian. White. Scalabrini. And Scalabrini. <laughs> and, um, you know, there are quotas out there. You know, you're right. You know, you do you know, see from time to time. Uh, a couple of white players, they have a spot because you, you need to have that inclusion going on. And and in a way, I'm, I'm somewhat okay with it if the player can play, but I'm not okay with it when they can't. You have to give that spot up to someone that can play the game. And you know, and and if you got an all black team, it's an all black team. If it's an all white team and they all can play, it's an all white team. Let's go, but let's not let's not patronize and just put a person there, just like you just said again, uh, as a quota, because you're 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 exiting out someone that could be taking care of their family, that's really qualified for that job to play in that spot. Well, I, I'm going to do something. This is we're going on a tangent here. But I, I feel 
I'm compelled to defend Brian Scalabrini, and I will defend him on this point. Yes, he was not highly skilled. You're absolutely correct. If you had like a skill contest between Brian Scalabrini and the rest of the players in the NBA, he would not be anywhere near the top in any category. But I'll give Scalabrini credit. He was fearless. He would like, put me in, coach, no matter what the situation. And a lot of guys, I've watched a lot of basketball, Vincent, guys retreat from high stakes games and big moments. And I always appreciated Scalabrini. He was like, he would come in the game and he would think, oh, I'm going to hit this shot. And that's that kind of like inner confidence that he had. I don't know where it came from, but I definitely appreciate it. Uh, but your point's well taken because <laughs> people in Boston went nuts when Scalabrini uh, would come into the game. And there may have been more going on uh, than I want to admit. All right. Um, let's move on before we rake poor Brian Scalabrini over the coals anymore. Uh, all right. Uh, Brian Flores uh, filed lawsuit. It's a fascinating lawsuit. I've read it. And uh, one of the things he alleges, two things he alleges. One, uh, has to do with the owner of the Miami uh, Dolphins asking him to uh, essentially lose games, to tank, uh, and offering him, according to Brian Flores, uh, a bonus. If he, he would give him more money if he lost his team lost games. Just think about that. You're supposed to want to win. But uh, the owner was, according to Flores, was impressing upon him the need to lose so they'd have a worse record and would get a higher draft choice uh, in the ensuing uh, NFL draft. Uh, and Flores refused, according to his lawsuit, according to what he says, to lose because he's in it to win. And he won uh, more games than anybody expected. And he says, Flores, that is ultimately what turned the management of that team against him. Uh, and led ultimately to his dismissal uh, and has sort of branded him as a guy who won't go along. Uh, the owner, Stephen Ross, denies it vehemently and says he'll get his day in court. Uh, eventually, he can't wait to get his day in court to prove himself right. Who do you believe in this one? Uh, do you believe Flores or do you believe Ross? You know, the, the evidence is is pretty much stacked against the owner. And and that hasn't really came up yet. And I'm sure Brian has some, you know, some recordings and I'm sure Brian has some some images, uh photos of uh some of the things that went on because of the text messages obviously that he got from Brian Billick, uh Bill Billichek. But I, I have to go with the coach on this because I, I, I think in that in that in this profession, you don't go and accuse an owner of paying you a hundred thousand dollars a game to tank games and just concoct a story like that without supporting evidence, without some timelines, uh, to some facts to go along with that. That being said, I, I'm 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 riding with the, the coach on that. And uh, we know owners lie. We know owners, you know, not to, not to throw sand, I mean, not to throw rocks at you, Warp, but that question that that reporter asked for you to say it's none of your business, you know, we're talking about the Blackhawks owners. Oh, Rocky Words, uh, yeah. I, ro Rocky <laughs> Words. Yeah. You know, assume I saw that. I'm going to tell you, Ben, assume I saw that. And I know I'm getting off the subject, but I, we're still talking about owners. And we're talking about sports, so I can think I can go there. 
But soon I saw that interview. I said, Rocky, what are you saying? <laughs> the, pub, the public needs to know when you sexually assault a player in your organization in the cover-up. We want to know, how do you fix that? And for him to blatantly just come out and say, that's none of your business. You don't work here, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, as an owner, you have responsibilities. And responsibilities is to protect your organization, your staff, your players, and more importantly, the people that put the money in your pocket, fans. And so, I, you know, you notice the next day or the following day, he came back and apologized, kind of cleaned it up. And I know his PR people. Because you, if you notice, when, and the guy was going to say what they had in place, and he was like, wait a minute, no, he cut him off. And, hey, you know, again, again, this goes to show you that you bite your tongue. Because if he would have said, Mr. Mr. Wharf, sir, let me just explain to him, he would have been fired. <laughs> well, it was his son, so I hardly – but, yeah, your point's well oh, taken. Well. And and that was – that, was, that uh, let me just – Okay. Come on, now. So you folks, know, you know they, they, you know they do fire family uh, members. Uh, you know, uh, McCaskies. Yeah, okay. that's true. They did fire McCaskey. <laughs> they always, but then they replace him with another McCaskey. Uh, but anyway, uh, what uh, Vincent's alluded to, and we talked about it a bit on uh, the regular show, but not a whole lot. Uh, Rocky Wirtz, the Chicago Blackhawks had a uh, town hall meeting. It was a promotional thing where fans were at, are, are invited to participate, ask questions of the ownership. Rocky Wirtz. Uh, who owns the team, and his son, uh, Danny, who's like the chief executive officer, some really big shot, high-ranking official on the team. And then uh, there was another uh, executive whose name I cannot recall. Uh, and then Eddie Olchek was taking the questions as the moderator. And so on a fans, this, the, the funniest part about it, uh, Vincent, is how it shows you the difference between a, a, a working reporter and a fan. So the fans' are questions are like real softball, like, really like your uniforms. Um, I mean, God, like, when are you going to get new colors? And they ask, you know, like real softball questions. Well, let me uh, weigh in on that one, and thank you for the question. So then they ask this reporter from The Athletic. He gets up, he goes, yes, about that sexual assault. Uh, you know, a uh, case against your coach back in 2010. And I'm like, whoa, it's a hardball question. And Rocky Wirtz should have been ready for it. And they should have had some, you're absolutely correct. It seemed like the kid, Danny Wirtz, had the answer, whatever answer they were going to give. But Danny Wirtz, got, he got so irritated. <laughs> he could, how dare you ask this question? That happened 10 years ago. and We already addressed it. Uh, you're right. So, uh, by the way, it you know in this town, it's bears, 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 bears. In the, particularly in the Sun Times, they get the coverage. They get the coverage. They get the coverage for two days in a row. That Blackhawks story has knocked the Bears off the front page of the sports section. I just want to say, Rocky, you've got more attention brought to your team than they've received all year. So, you know, maybe that's what he had going. Uh, yeah, this was his intention. But, yes, your point is well taken. The arrogance of sports owners uh, and the contempt they have sometimes for people who dare to uh, ask them questions or criticize them. Go ahead. You were going to say something? Yeah, you know, you're beneath me. And you can't answer. You can't ask me anything uh, that's not above your pay grade. And, and you're right. It's arrogancy. And I, I, again, you know, uh, 
I mean, we got to do better as owners. We got to do better. We got to be smarter. And 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 that just wasn't displayed at that time. And I only said that and brought that up because that's the mentality of the NFL owners. Not all of them. Let's you know. Again, I heard you say that earlier, and that's what one of the things I said. Not all the owners are, uh, you know, with the arrogant attitude. Which you know, I hire whoever I want to. Uh, I don't always have to hire the best man for the job if he's black. I can hire my, you know, other you know player uh, coach. I mean, so you know, I I just I just think that um, the owners got to do better. And I think that, uh, you know, Roger Cadell, you've made enough money in, 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 as the commissioner. You have to step up. And I'm going to tell you, you know, all it takes is uh, a couple of players, and they did this before on, on, on Kaepernick's behalf, is to come out and say, hey, you know what, we're not going for that. Or, you know, some of these black coaches need to band together. You know, hey, listen, there's other opportunities out there for you. You know, but again, when I say this, it can trickle all the way down to the collision, you know, jobs as well when you really rock the boat. So you're taking a chance, you know, because let's face it, uh, Brian got the job for good recommendations from Bill Belichick. He's under his regime for 20 years. And, And also just think about this. If it wasn't for Brian. One of the, the Super Bowl that uh, Tom Brady won against the Seattle Seahawks, they wouldn't have won that Super Bowl because he, the one, came to Belichick and said, I'm putting in a Butler. Uh, what was this, Michael Butler? What was oh, it? yeah. And he uh, put him in. Yeah, and, he got the interception. And he got the interception. The rest was history. But they was torching that cornerback. And here's a rookie sitting on the sideline. He put him in in the second half, and it changed the whole complexity of the game. And we know what happened after that. Well, we should have. I, all right, I, I, I don't want to go down this field, but uh, Pete Carroll should have ha- had the ball go to Marshawn Lynch. Uh, and and I, 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 I mean, I, of course, we we all know I, that <laughs> he got the best running back in a short yardage situation in the game. He got all the momentum. He's been battering the the Patriots. Uh, and I was so rooting against the Patriots. Uh, you brought back fresh wounds. You opened up fresh wounds with that one, uh, Vincent. All right. Uh, so I've been ripping the Bears for a long time because they took uh, Mitch Dubisky, uh over Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I will never understand that in a million. I don't care what bad game Patrick Mahomes just had. People were giving me grief, Vincent, because Patrick Mahomes had a bad game last week when they lost. And couldn't, the Kansas City Chiefs couldn't go into the Super Bowl. And I'm like, well, he's been in the uh, conference finals like four years in a row, guys. So he didn't make it to the Super Bowl. He had a bad uh, game or at least a bad second half. It's still a lot better than Mitch Trubisky. And I, I personally believed it's because they had a prejudice against a black quarterback. I have no proof of that. That's my belief. Uh, and uh, subsequently, the Bears, they hired a black man to be their general manager. They drafted Justin Fields, a black man to be their quarterback. So I have to give them props. Maybe they learned their lesson. Not, uh, not in, and- not in, not in, not in <laughs> that ahead. order. Not in that order. But yes, you know, I think from. Yes. From the, the constant pressure of the league and watching these black quarterbacks excel in the game, they had no choice. 
you have to put the best man on the field. Now, the problem is, if you want to go into that, uh, Nagy, which they finally got him on it, you know. But I, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm going to say this: you bring in a general manager, and normally when you bring in a general manager, he has the opportunity to bring in his man. Uh, you know, audience when they hired the new general manager, African American from the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the coach, Reed, Andy Reed said, make sure you interview Eric Biandemi, which is the officer coordinator. Now, let's, 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 let's face it, now, which is the officer coordinator. And he's pretty much uh, kept that team afloat uh, with his play calling. And I think this man is ready, more than ready to be a head coach. He did not even get an interview. Um. And, and we, I don't know behind the scenes of that. Maybe they had already, you know, had Matt, you know, uh, kind of pegged. But then let's go back with Matt. I'm a little bit disappointed in Matt because Matt was the defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts. And the last two games gave up 30 points, around 30-something points, which cost them to not even get in the playoffs. All they had to do was win one out of the last two. And they couldn't even pull that off. Not to mention that they lost to a Jacksonville team, which is getting the first round pick. <laughs> How uh, did that happen? Yeah. With a coach that was a, uh, <laughs> a, a, a replacement coach for Mike Mott. What was it? Uh, was the Myers guy that was coaching from yeah, Florida? Urban Myers. Urban yeah. Myers, yeah. You know, I'm kind of bad yeah. with these names, but Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer wasn't the coach. They had a replacement coach, and that coach gave up 30 something points. So I would have to kind of look at that, those last two games and say, do we really want him to be our head guy? And, uh, you know, you heard it here, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for you, Matt. But, man, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Well, for what it's worth, and I do not pretend, and I got to say this right now, I do not pretend to have the understanding and knowledge to run a professional football team. That I mean, I'm laughing at just the thought, the concept, okay? So me second-guessing whoever, uh, Ryan Poles, who's now the new general manager of the Chicago Bears, is laughable. But here's what I'm <laughs> going to say about that. It just It's a typical thing with a fan. You see something obvious, and it makes no sense. You don't understand. So, for instance, the Bears have said all along that their number one priority uh, is to prepare Justin Fields, their quarterback, their rookie quarterback, to be a superstar in the NFL. So it seemed to me if that's your number one priority, it only makes sense that you would hire as your head coach somebody whose expertise lies on offense, particularly developing quarterbacks. There was a guy out there. His name is Jim Caldwell. He used to coach the Detroit Lions, you know, and uh, he used to coach the Indianapolis Colts. And he's an older guy, so, you know, you maybe sign him for like a three-year deal or whatever. They didn't hire him. Had they hired him, which I was really rooting for, because he had had some success, you would have had a black general manager, a black coach, and a black quarterback. Vincent E. Norman, 
I do not believe the Chicago Bears were ready to go for the trifecta on that front. Your thoughts? Um, I think you're 100%, 110% always say right with that. And uh, again, it it goes back to, uh, I, I shook my head because you hired a defensive coordinator to be your head guy, to be to lead the troops, when we clearly need someone to be a mentor and uh, really understand what uh, we have in this quarterback here, because he shows some really good signs now in, uh, in his play to guide him, to teach him, to get him prepared for the twenty twenty two season. And you don't do that with a, a defensive coordinator. Now, they ran and said they got them an offensive guy, and he's supposed to do that. But, you know, at the end of the day, to lead the troops, especially one of the, the, the high-profile positions that you have, you have to have an offensive coordinator, someone that knows and can relate to that position that QB position. And I think you're right. Caldwell, when he took over for uh, at the uh, Dundee left, oh, incredible season, incredible run. Uh, he can coach. And more importantly, he can definitely coach quarterbacks. He coached them up. I mean, come on. His resume speaks for itself. If you ask Peyton Manning, he'll tell you a lot. Uh, hey, that guy helped him a lot. So... There we go. Yeah, he 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 was. Uh, listen, here's reality, and I learned that Sonny Cox told me this years ago. He was a legendary high school basketball coach in the city of Chicago, King High School. He told me this in the '80s. A coach is only as good as his players. And the reality, I don't care who the coach is. If you have bad, mediocre players and you don't have a good quarterback, you're not having a good team. Look at Bill Belichick, supposedly the smartest coach in the football. When Tom Brady left him, the team totally tanked. Okay, so. It's only so much any coach can do. And uh, it's easy to talk yourself out of hiring this coach or that coach. But, yeah, it just makes no sense. If your number one priority is to prepare your quarterback, why would you hire a defensive coach? All right, we're going to close it down with a little Bulls talk. And uh, we're not going to solve all the problems in the NFL in this conversation. My beloved Chicago Bulls uh, are doing okay. Uh, despite the fact that four, count of four players are injured right now. Key players are injured. Uh, Alex Caruso, I just have to point this out, was maliciously knocked out of the league for six to eight weeks. A cheap shot by Grayson Allen of Milwaukee. And that really hurts because he was such a great defender. Uh, and we're really, to me, in my mind, Vincent, where we're weakest is uh, up front. And a lot of this, uh, the, these strong teams kind of push the Bulls around. That happened last night in Toronto. They were out rebounding on the offensive boards and they lost the game, a heartbreaker. Uh, with a tip uh, tip back, a tip in at the buzzer. So your thoughts, should the Chicago Bulls make a trade to get a uh, strong uh, forward or center as they head into the playoffs, or should they stand pat? You know, I, I believe uh, they should not. Um, I, I think I've been watching the Bulls this season. I've been really excited uh, about the Bulls. Um you know, I, I, I lost my, uh, you know, my enthusiasm when they, you know, did the whole thing with the 
Michael Jordan situation, etc. But and, and then it kind of revised things with uh, Derrick Rose. But this Bulls team is amazing. And I, I heard Shaq say last night that uh, the coach has done a great job keeping this team together under the circumstances of a lot of injuries and stuff. And they sitting at the top. I'm not sure if they're there now, but last night, as of last night, they were number one on in the East Eastern Conference, uh, you know, stats. Uh, and, I mean, uh, that's amazing. With some of their key players being missing and hurt and COVID-19 and all those different things. But I'm going to say this, man. Getting that full team back, getting that full team back, what I'm afraid of, is that Billy Donovan, Coach Bill, Lee Donovan, is not going to utilize those players the way he should. But if he do, we are going to be bringing the trophy home. What I mean by that is, oh, yeah, that's a bold statement, I know. But we're going to be bringing the trophy back home. If you utilize a full roster of that Bulls team, if you utilize them correctly, and I'm only going to say this, and I might even send an email. When the playoffs start and you get into the second and third quarter, do not have DeRozan and Levine in the game at the same time. Give them a chance to be fresh in the fourth quarter, and those two players will pretty much close the games. But we don't, we don't wow, know. That's a bold. That's my strategy. I, I'm gonna, I wrote it down. I'm going to hold it to you. Uh, and usually I'm the one saying the Bulls win the championship. Listen, there are four guys who are out. Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, Patrick Williams are the big three, uh, and Derek Jones is also out. And to lose three players, the caliber that the Bulls have lost, uh, and still be competing is remarkable. Uh, and part of it is uh, you got to give the rookie Io credit. He has really stepped up beyond anybody's expectations. So how Billy Donovan deals with the players, when do the players come back? How much will they be at full strength when they come back? Uh, and how will Billy Donovan balance all their needs? That's a, that is like the challenge that we live, have to look forward to. But you're absolutely, your, point, your main point is a good one. They have to come back. You know what I'm saying? And it's right now, there's just a little uncertainty. They go, it's six to eight weeks. So you don't really know what that means. You know what I'm saying, Vincent? Uh, sometimes six to eight weeks really means 10 weeks uh, in the NBA. So you don't know. I guess we have to watch it. But I am gonna. Uh, I wrote that down. It made me feel good, if nothing else. Uh, a prediction, well, you know, a bold hey, prediction. Yeah, well, I'm going to tell you, the heart and soul of that team is Caruso. Hand, to me... I mean, I, I kind of followed him a little bit when he was with the Lakers, you know, and he did some you know, amazing things with the Lakers, you know, when they won the, the championship uh, during the bubble season. But really, that guy there is, has the tenacity, you know, of, uh, remember, what was his, uh, uh, Spud Webb? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, Spud uh, Webb. Uh, the, the little the little coach I mean the little player that played with Dallas but I mean he's just a, I mean for his for his height he just plays such a 
you know, flawless, you know, game. You know, like you say, he's great at defense, and he and he can put the ball in the in the hoop too. So uh, he's the hardest. No, he's fearless. Team. He reminds me of. Um, I got a few years on Vincent, so I'm going to take a name from the past that I'm not quite sure you're old enough to remember. My favorite bull of all time. Yes, everybody loves Michael Jeffrey Jordan. But my favorite bull of all time was my childhood hero, may he rest in peace, the great Norm Van Leer. And Alex Caruso plays the game the way Norm Van Leer. Utterly fearless. Who do you want me to coach? Who do you want me to cover, coach? I'll cover... He was playing with a broken wrist in Milwaukee, and he was covering Giannis, who's six foot eleven. <laughs> God dang! I was—I just thought of Norm Van Leer when I saw him. I, I wish Norm was around uh, to watch him because I know Norm Van Leer would really appreciate the way he plays the game. All right, I love the way Vincent E. Norman plays the game, and I'm—I'm I'm starting to wonder: Has Vincent been uh, tasting some of his product when he predicts us that the Chicago Bulls will be a world champion? <laughs> he may be tasting some of that. Uh, cannabis product. Uh, he's, of course, <laughs> uh, no, nothing wrong with that, Vincent. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, if you are, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you, know, you gotta take your head off to the, to the team. I mean, you know, I mean, these are young players. And like you said, what's the, the IO, the IO guy from yes. uh, Illinois? They, the sumo they, from Morgan they, Park. Gonna, yes. They, you know, it's a good problem to have, but they're going to have a problem with white and IO. They're going to have to figure out what to do because, you know, you can only keep so many players. So uh, they better enjoy this season and let's try to get that ring now. All right, Vincent E. Norman, uh, when the Bulls win the championship, you and I will be together standing uh, in Grand Park for the celebration. Uh, and uh, I want to uh, give a, a shout-out to Victoria, who usually joins us, but unfortunately she couldn't make it today for some family situations. So, Victoria, we're thinking about you. Uh, Vincent, thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. All right, that's the great Vincent E. Norman. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. internet powerful enough to let your band members in vegas phoenix and rhode island jam like you're all in the same garage get gig speeds powered by fiber from cox it's internet built for tomorrow today cox always building better download speeds up to one gigabit per second cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection speeds vary and are not guaranteed cox terms and other restrictions may apply